0: Welcome back to the Commons. Uh, I'm your host, Brian Phillips. We are discussing a major issue as it relates to uh, school life, whether you are a headmaster, a teacher, um, a parent, board member, or even a student uh, or homeschooling parent, and that is standardized testing. Joining me today is someone who has done a great job bit of research and work in the field of standardized testing. Uh, I'm joined today by Jeremy Tate, the president and co-founder of the Classical Learning Tests. We just call it CLT around here, as I'm sure most of you do. So Jeremy, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank
1: you, Brian, for having me.
0: Uh, it's, it's wonderful to have you on. Uh, we're talking about a very big subject. Um, standardized testing is, is really just sort of a way of life. Uh, It's it's part of the landscape of American education. Um, I know I experienced it firsthand as a student uh, going through grammar school all the way through junior high, which kind of dates me a little bit, uh, middle school now, right? Um, (laughs) High school, college, uh, or college entrance. Uh, And many of us have seen our own children go through it, watching them either prepare for it or take their standardized tests. and. Uh, at least for me, I have administered standardized tests as a teacher and then as a, a headmaster or head of upper school, I received that big packet after it was all over with the results mm-hmm. and had to filter through and answer questions from board members and the headmaster and parents and students and so on. So uh, it it is um, absolutely filling the American educational yeah. landscape. Uh, But that's not always been the case, right? Um, You have, you've been involved in some important research on the history of standardized testing. Um, And that's, that's one contribution that CLT has, Mm. has made that. uh, So it's not just making a test, Um, but, but tell us a little bit of what came of that research. Can you tell us how standardized testing got its start?
1: Yeah, so we're, you know, really tying this to the launch of College Board uh, in the year 1900, and the, the idea of a standardized test, especially with the multiple-choice form that we all know, um, really, we're talking just before World War I, um, and then the first time it was widely used was World War One, as they're trying to get a, a quick sense of who's going to be in, in intelligence and, and who's going to be uh, on the front lines. It's not a very glorious uh, origin. Um, through, uh, through Princeton, um, what the test that becomes the SAT uh, really launches in 1926, um, but it, it didn't go mainstream until really after World War II. And so at that point, after World War II, you know, for, for generations, uh, college had been a dream, I think, for, for so many Americans, but it hadn't been um, even in the realm of possibility. Uh, World War II, GI Bill, we suddenly have more applicants than seats available. Uh, colleges quickly become very selective. And um, part of the origin is actually uh, really good, you know, and instead of just the well-connected being admitted, uh, part of the idea with the standardized test with the original SAT, which was designed to be an aptitude test, and we can, we can get into that in just a few minutes. Um, part of the idea was that it would not, uh, it would level the playing field. It would provide a way for, for those who are not well-connected to have a fair shot uh, at Harvard uh, as well. Um, I think that benefit to it uh, has been lost, uh, especially now as the SAT is no longer uh, an aptitude test that defers to uh, curricular you know, diversity, uh, but now is a Common Core Aligned Public School Achievement Test that I, I think is actually very influential uh, in driving a particular set uh, of academic standards or curriculum uh, nationwide.
0: Hmm. So, so it was originally tied to, um, to the military. Right. So, the, yeah. Okay. So they were testing for a very different kind of aptitude than what we typically think of now uh, with standardized tests, right?
1: Yeah, and, and we're you know this is tied as well to kind of the heyday of IQ testing as well, and you know there there's something very uh, dangerous you know about this. I think you know one of the things you see about the uh, the SAT is how. Um, how deep it can, I remember my score. I won't tell you my score, but I remember my SAT score. <laughs> uh, and I remember that having a, a really big impact of the way I saw myself as a 17, yeah. 18 year old, high school junior or senior. Um, that is that is not a, a good thing. Um, at the same time, the especially some of the, the aspects of the old SAT analogies, logic questions, um, the, these are questions that can allow a student um, who has had a great academic formation, who has a well-trained mind, who can connect ideas together, um, it allows them to demonstrate that to colleges uh, in a way that, that can't be done uh, quickly. Um, and and you know, from the college perspective, you know, when you're processing sometimes tens of thousands of applications and they want to do it in a way that's just and fair, um, it's hard to imagine a scenario you know, where they're not using some standardized tests in, in at least some capacity.
0: Right, now what what you mentioned in that um, you know quick historical scan of where all of this originated, uh, at least in the United States, I think there's probably even more history further back than that. Um, but uh, now we've gone from standardized testing just for college admission to standardized testing really across the board and across all age ranges. Mm-hmm. Um, my my wife and I both were um, uh, K through 12 school teachers for years in a classical school. Um, but now we homeschool our four kids. Uh, my wife does most of the heavy lifting there, of course. <laughs> That's uh, just mine. Yeah, uh, but <laughs> but in the state of North Carolina where we are, Uh, your students every year have to take a standardized test and you have to keep those records. And so now you're talking about standardized Mm -hmm. testing, which began for military purposes and then college entrance exams. Uh, And now it's backed all the way down to, you're talking about six, seven-year-olds taking hours and hours worth of standardized tests in a lot of cases every single year. Mm -hmm. And in in some schools, multiple tests, right? So... Um, how did we go from the origins of an aptitude test for the military or for college acceptance to how it's being used now? It's very different animal now.
1: Right? Yeah, yeah, and I think what you're asking is is a great fundamental question about what what has happened overall to American education. Um, that mainstream education has gotten so far from. Um, the idea that, that we're talking about the cultivation of the human person um, that that it's all about uh, outcomes. it's all about you know if, if you t- if education is purely uh, utilitarian, what can I get from this? Um, you know it would make sense that we would we would look for more and more uh, of those kind of quantitative uh, results you know um, If the purpose of education is is to you, um, Cultivate virtue in young people that they become kind and empathetic and honest, um, then naturally we're not going to see this emphasis on standardized testing. And I, I think um, p- part of what we want to do at CLT is actually reduce the amount of standardized testing that kids are getting. Um, at the end of the day, you know, these tests at the state level with SAT, with ACT, um, it, it, it's almost impossible, Brian, to exaggerate the power and influence. Um, of these tests and driving curriculum, you know. I mean, when we get a chance, and you can imagine this, when we get a chance to sit down with the college and present, the first thing we always start off with is the very same hypothetical every time. We say, "Look, if if SAT and ACT were tests that required fluency with the Western canon, required the ability to read and understand philosophy, classical literature, ethical texts, religious texts, what would curriculum be like nationwide if that was the SAT and ACT?" And, and very quickly they go, oh, wow, it'd be totally, totally different. And it's a true with any state-required test as well. It's a way of controlling education. It's why both parties fight over it. Um, and it, it's going to take, uh, I think, an act of God for us to get out of this current situation uh, that we're in. And I think it's a reason, too, why parents are fleeing out of the away from the educational establishment. And they're going to uh, homeschool options. They're going to these great new classical Christian schools. Um, and I, I think we're gonna see more and more of this that as the establishment um, becomes more and more desperate to to keep control, they're going be they're going to double down on the testing. Uh, but I think we're gonna keep seeing parents uh, that, that want the best for their kids they're gonna keep fleeing away from it.
0: Now uh, um, so there seems to be at least an admission on the part of some of those that you've talked with that that the testing is driving. Curriculum right yeah. it's determining curriculum so what what other effects have you seen or what other correlation or connection have you seen between the way standardized testing is done now and what goes on in the classroom or in school districts at large because I know that you're uh, in the work that you do um, you have access to kind of a, a greater sampling than most people would about what's really going on mm-hmm. and most of us we we see how it affects our children. We see how it affects the students in our classroom. If you're a teacher, you might know how it affects the way that you have to teach, You know, teaching to the test and being measured and assessed by um, by the test scores and so on. But, but what other trends are you seeing uh, or effects are you seeing in the classroom or in schools at large?
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and that's a really great question. And I think to answer that also, just as, as an educator, I spent eight of eight of 10 years teaching in the public school arena I think the number one problem in, in education right now is complacency among students. And when you got uh, a curriculum uh, of every transcendental idea, every discussion of, of truth and beauty, and, and why am I here, um, then students are bored. They should be bored. And um and you see you know we we've done very extensive audits on uh, SAT and their source material. Zero um, percent of authors uh, are, are coming from a Christian worldview. Um, are Our philosopher zero percent, and so there 's a, a filter um, these thinkers are actually being censored i 'm confident it 's the same from the big state test uh, as well and so if it doesn 't matter if a student uh, you know can read uh, religious text can read and understand the philosophy can read and understand ethical text, um, if that stuff isn 't going to show up on a test it 's very unlikely that teachers are, are going to focus on it much in the in the classroom as well. Um, and therefore, all of the great questions that were central to the very foundations of education in the West, questions about existence, uh, a focus on astronomy, um, questions about the telos, the happy life, the good life, um, those are all removed. And what you get instead you know, of, of, uh, of undermining of the student, that their, their chief aim in life is to you know, be a, a cog in a big economic machine. Um, then they have every, every reason to be bored uh, and depressed even out of their minds. And so I think, yeah, this is very much uh, tied together. And uh, it's, it's part of what, what CLT wants to do by, by getting in there, offering kids a better student experience, but also saying, no, you know, 2,500 years ago, um, the right questions were being asked. They actually knew a lot more um, about educating a young person and fostering wonder and curiosity than the educational establishment knows today, which really, and this is not just CLT saying, this this is kind of almost mainstream criticism. The Atlantic wrote an article on this two years ago um, that almost every step from kindergarten now through 12th grade kind of crushes curiosity uh, and wonder, fascination with the world. um, And it's absolutely tied uh, to standardized testing.
0: Right, right. I mean, you have, uh, and of course, some of this does vary by, school districts or individual schools. Um, but we're talking about big general trends here, of course. So um, I, I know that there are end of class tests or, or EOCs. There are uh, end of grade tests, EOGs to determine whether students can move <laughs> yeah. on. There's um, annual standardized testing or uh, in some systems, it's like every every two or three years. Um, then you have the college entrance exams SAT, ACT, you've got AP exams, which are also standardized and are tied to college credit and college entrance, Um, and it it all comes back to uh, there are there are two main concerns that I have here, and and um, I you know taught in classical schools uh, to high school students for um, over ten years was head of upper school. I still work with tons of, of classical schools around the country, but two main concerns, the, the really cynical um, frustrated part of me goes, this is really about money. And, mm-hmm. and you mentioned that, you know, that it's, it's part of placing students in the, uh, as cogs in a giant economical machine. Um, I don't want to put words in your mouth, so I'll just say all the ugly stuff. I mean, <laughs> if if the college board, which produces most of these standardized tests, or a lot of them, can uh-huh. be considered a non-profit, then all bets are off, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, because it's astronomical, you know, what they're raking in from these things. But the other part of it, the more um, pastoral shepherding uh, side of me as an educator um just, I'd noticed this massive undercurrent of anxiety
1: hmm, driving
0: yeah. it all. Um, you know, I, I can't tell you how many discussions I've had with students and parents, essentially trying to talk them off the ledge because they're so anxious about their test scores, about how it's going to affect their child's mm-hmm. future, and so on. And I know this is a tough question, but, but how do we begin to combat that? Yeah. Um, what, what would you say? to parents and students who are facing all of this anxiety and fear that the world of standardized testing is causing.
1: Hmm. You know, know, Brian, if we could go back for just a second, uh, you mentioned money a minute ago, and I I would love to address that head on. You know, that College Board, a company, a nonprofit, you know, they do $1.2 billion per year. Um, Currently, SAT and ACT are really fighting over big state contracts, which is why they're both common core aligned uh, assessments at this point. If you think about the history of College Board, 120 years, I I doubt that any entity in American education or history has has done more to further the radical secularism of American education. And you think about what what the collective Christian response has been on both the secondary side and on the college side. Um, It has been to simply write College Board big checks right? Colleges do it to acquire names for direct marketing uh, from College Board. Secondary schools do it through testing, through PSAT, through AP. Um, And so it's an interesting dynamic here where um, College Board, I think, has done a lot to undermine uh, the value of Christian education. And at the same time, uh, Christians collectively continue to funnel hundreds of millions of dollars to college board every year and so um i, I certainly don't want to shy away from the, this that argument or that thought that this this is about money and instead of having this money in any way reinvested back into i mean you think about what what could christians do instead with the hundreds of millions that go to college board every year you could have a great classical christian school in the heart of every inner city in america um, that would be a better use of the funds than what we're currently doing um, so, just, just some thoughts about money. Happy to go back there in a minute. But the question uh, of student anxiety, you know, I, I think this is for, for me as, as the founder of CLT, as a as co-founder, but in terms of, of the, the test itself of kind of having this idea, CLT was launched originally for um, the purpose of seeing the influence of these tests on curriculum. Um, that and, and also the way that the college board, even when you take the test, even if you're a super duper high flyer and you have a 1580, I know students who had a 1600 who still got rejected from MIT and Harvard, um, that, that it still doesn't do its actual job, which is simply differentiating among you know, top students anyway. Um, the hardest, the personal, for me personally, the very hardest aspect of this is when I connect with a student or parent. Um, who has been very discouraged about their score. That's, I, I don't know that there is an easy way to deal with that. And I think that um, that's what makes me question, um, of course, standardized testing altogether. The The flip side of that, I think, is this, is that um, it is real accountability in, in some ways. Um, I think for the parent who has been uh, homeschooling for years, uh, wants something external, wants something concrete to get a good sense of how they're doing, Um, And with a standardized test that has tens of thousands of students nationally using it, uh, they can get uh, some perspective on on how they've done. Maybe that's not the right perspective because that is in comparison to other students. Um, So I don't know. I I think over-testing, of course, I think it kills everything that is good in in education. Um, I think as long as companies like College Board and ACT exist, um, I am confident that CLT can offer something A lot better, that's a better student experience. Um, And we do everything we can on our end to downplay the actual importance of the score. Um, You know, Brian, for the colleges, SAT and ACD, CLT as well, are enrollment engines as much as tests. Colleges reach out to us almost every day, you know, wanting to connect with the kinds of kids who take the CLT. Those are typically great homeschool kids, they're typically kids coming from great classical Christian schools. These kids show up on campus regardless of their score. Uh, and they stand out. They lead debates. They lead discussions. Um, teachers go back to admissions and they say, "Where did you? Where did we get that student?" This kid's incredible. And then admissions goes back to you know the Geneva School or Veritas, and they they want to recruit more. Um, so these students from the classical renewal movement now are showing up in waves uh, at colleges, and colleges are are impressed, and they want to connect with more of these students as well, regardless of of the test score. So. You know, we. I'm certainly very sympathetic to this the argument. I, I know the, the damage that it can do. I think part of it is the parent's job to say, you know what, this captures something about this given moment um, about where you're at academically. Um, much of the CLT can be prepped for in the same way SAT and ACT. Kids who read a ton, they do very, very well on, this, on the verbal section of the CLT. Um, kids who don't read hardly at all uh, don't do well. I think part of it is just that hard feedback that's unavoidable, uh, and then part of it, again, like you said, I think, is uh, anxiety producing, and it runs the risk of, of killing the very best aspects of education and so I personally, as a as president of CLT, want to be all ears in listening to parents uh, and doing everything we can uh, to minimize uh, the kind of anxiety that this can produce when it is, uh, when it can be such high stakes for kids.
0: right I, I think. If we, if we understand um, just to kind of piggyback on what you were saying that uh, if we understand that standardized testing really, it's a business and it is a gigantic business, right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So given that you have to understand that when your child sits down to take um, one of the grade level tests uh, or... You know, if you're if you're worried about SAT, ACT scores, um, uh, then you have to understand that you're you're buying a product, Mm -hmm. and um, all the parents who have been convinced and students who've been convinced that I got to have you know eighty seven AP courses in order for my child to get into a good college, you you've just bought a product, Mm -hmm. right? Um, it's a sales pitch right and you can look at any commercial for any product and know that one of the ways they want to sell you something is through fear through anxiety yes. if you yep. don't buy this then something bad will happen yeah right i mean it's a logical fallacy hmm. but we fall for it and so uh, i think that's one thing that i would encourage parents um to remember as well and and students too is that um that you have to you have to temper your expectation and you have to, you have to really, um, back off of the anxiety and fear because as you said, this, your test scores are basically a snapshot. Yeah. Right. Um, and that's even with a well done test, Mm -hmm. which, um, you know, frankly is assuming a lot in the world Mm. of standardized testing. Right. But even if the tests were really well done, it's a snapshot. It's not mm-hmm. the rest of your life. It's not a measure of who you are as a person. Yeah. Um, and it's certainly not a measure of, you know, the growth of a soul and wisdom and virtue. Yeah. So, uh, but I, I think all of that is very helpful. I mean, we have to we have to really um, rid ourselves um, of this anxiety and fear that drives so much of this. Um, so yeah. that's sort of some counsel to... to parents and students, but given, uh, as you said, you, you work with a lot of colleges, you have contact with a lot of colleges, you have a lot of contact with, uh, headmasters and, yes. um, schools around the country. So let me give you an opportunity to speak directly to school leaders who might be listening as well, um, mm. because they're, they're involved in making a lot of decisions when it comes to standardized tests and the way that, uh, you know, which ones their students will take how often and so on. Um, so what do you, what advice would you give to school leaders, um, as they're navigating through these waters and guiding, uh, parents and students through standardized testing, what can they do to make things better?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Brian. And one more, um, comment with, with anxiety. One way that that we try to address this through through setting up our platform, and we have some parents who take advantage of this. Um, students don't ever need to know their actual score, even CLT students. A parent can, um, especially for our CLT 10, which is our alternative to the PSAT, um, parent can register the student, administer it to them, um, and the, the score itself can be kept out of the um, line of vision of the student entirely. Uh, and that's something, you know, I, I do webinars quite a bit with parents and try to just let them know all the options they have and you know, for some kids, if it's going to be this tremendously discouraging point that's just going to breed more anxiety, um, we wanted to set things up in a way that could keep the score uh, from them at all, but may still be helpful to the parent in identifying what do we really need to work on at home. Um, And so still provide, pass on the value without, without passing on the anxiety uh, is part of our goal. Um, Yeah. So, so the question about, um, you know, heads of school and, um, So this is um, a big way that we've kind of uh, shifted over the past year and a half. When we first started with CLT, we we got colleges to change their admission standards. We um, went to missionally aligned colleges first, and we made the case of saying, hey, here's how influential these tests are in driving curriculum, Um, got a few colleges to to adopt, and then then word started to spread very um, slowly at first um, about CLT as a third option. Um, just directly to students. Over the past year and a half, what we're doing is working directly with, with heads of school and they're using this, the test in this dual capacity. of One as an internal metric for academic progress. And so um, when I was at a secondary school, I remember the day very well every year when the PSAT scores would come out. And um, our school would, would use that uh, to get insight into the, the student body and you know, potential um, for, for different school students in terms of scholarships. But it wasn't showing um, anything about the things our school cared about most. And so I think because the CLT specifically has passages um, drawing from classical literature, philosophy, religious text, uh, logic on the math side, uh, that we're able to to, to, pa- to pass on something that's helpful to the head of school um, that has nothing to do with the college energy exam. For them, it's simply a, an added benefit uh, that they can use it in that capacity as well. Um, and what we say is, well, you know, the first time head of school say, you know, what, we we realize that that schools are very data driven. Um, they want insight into their, their students. And, um, and so we offer it for free for the first year. Try CLT out. Let us know if we've been able to um, show you something about your school you didn't previously know. If it's helpful, use it again in the future. If not, you know, no worries at all. So um, so we we have more and more secondary schools that are, are reaching out to us, especially as more colleges come on board. And that's one of the ways we really want to be uh, of service. Let them offer the test to their kids in school, um, two hours, same day results. Um, they get all the analytics the same week for the heads of school, whereas a lot of these testing companies, it's three or four months sometimes where they get any of the insight. And you can imagine at that point when they say, oh, wow, we're having, we need to do some serious work in, in geometry. If it's three or four months down the road, it might be summer break already and it's kind of a mute point.
0: Right, right. So, um now let's let's transition into um kind of ending on some good news, uh ending mm-hmm. on a, a positive note or ending with some good news, I should say. <laughs> yeah. Um so what trends are you noticing? Any any encouraging trends or shifts that you're noticing in the world of standardized testing?
1: You know, there there's been huge uh changes and I, I think College Board to their to their credit, I think has um is doing everything I think in their power right now to um, address some of the historic problems. So i you know mentioned early on that that the original um, one of the benefits you know right after World War II was that it was it was trying to level the playing field and saying you know it's not just going to be the well connected anymore that get into Harvard, um, but we're gonna we're gonna try to use something that levels the playing field. Um, as it's been demonstrated over time, you know that these tests often uh, perpetuate. Um, the existing discrepancies between uh, different different demographic groups, you know one of the big criticisms is that it, it keeps those uh, you know, in power, in power and power and keeps those who are on the outside on the outside. Um, College Board has done a lot uh, recently, I think, to um, address address those issues. And um, especially I think with with the test optional movement, there's 800 colleges now that are not requiring, a SAT or ACT score for admission. I think that's good news. Um, CLT, we love the test optional movement. And for a lot of students, um, submitting a score is a great way to put your best foot forward to a college. Um, for some students, that's not your best way to put your best foot forward um, and to, to communicate something about uh, what you can do or your academic formation. And so I think we're a little weird as a, as a standardized testing company that, that wants to see the test optional movement grow. Um, I think that's partly our commitment to not wanting to be a source of anxiety for students. Um, we absolutely feel like uh, we can be the best way to to showcase the academic ability of a lot of these young people coming from these great classical um, schools. But I think that's a really encouraging uh, sign as well. Um, the other one I wanted to mention, Brian, and this I think solves a problem that's been present for a long time is, is writing. And so um, I look at the writing at some of the students uh, that have been submitting essays already and I'm blown away. I think that they're doing postgraduate uh, level writing as juniors and seniors in high school. Um, These kids coming from from these classical schools. What we have done on the CLT is there's an optional essay, but we never grade it. We never grade it. So college board, ACT, they grade your essay. Uh, We've read that on average, an essay gets about 30 seconds. Um, So they're not grading it really well or very thoroughly. Um, but what we do instead is we, we allow the student to send the um their 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 response along with the essay prompt directly to colleges. And that way the admissions office gets a real sample of student writing. And so the problem, you know, especially with selective colleges over the past 20, 30 years is that um you know for this the the essay, everybody knows that you know students are having tutors and parents the essay is essentially copy edited you know, 20 times before it actually gets sent to the colleges. And so there's less and less value placed on the student essay. But right. if you could offer them an actual sample uh, of an unedited student essay that, that they did in real time in a proctored environment, um, that's something that, that we're really excited about. We just rolled that out this past year. Um, the colleges have been excited about it. The students have been excited about it. I think a lot of these kids are excited to show off uh, their writing ability. Um, and so that's been fun. And it's something that you can only do with, with technology. And so there's really no way apart from being on a online platform that you could have this system where kids are, you know, and they, and they can actually go back. They can look at their essay. If they like it, great. It's entirely under their power to to send it to colleges or not. Um, but we're hearing a lot of great things both from the colleges and the students and the parents right now about uh, this new opportunity to show off uh, their writing skills.
0: That's great. Those are very encouraging trends. Um, and I think that's a great resource that you're giving to uh, students who are taking the, the CLT to, to help, help them stand out a bit from, uh, from the rest of the, the crowd. Um, Jeremy, thank you so much for joining me today. This, uh, this has been very informative uh, from the history and development of standardized testing to, you know, what's going on now and then how, we react to it. Those of us in the the world of classical education, uh, whether we're in schools or homeschools, um, sometimes it's hard to know our place in all of that and how to respond to it. And, And so this has been really encouraging, really helpful. Thank you so much for the work you're doing and thank you for joining me today.
1: Yeah. Thank you, Brian, for having me. I, I think uh, I'm a huge fan myself of Circe podcast. And uh, I think the last one I listened to was you and Matt Bianco and Andrew talking about feelings uh, in stories, uh, <laughs> which I, I think is actually far more interesting than standardized testing. So thank you as well for for the great work and just uh, how how supportive Circe has been uh, to CLT over the past couple of years. So thank you.
0: Absolutely. Thank you, Jeremy.